You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Weeks ago, it has been several weeks, we were bringing a conclusion to our, our study of conforming to the image of Christ and the idea of, of uh, growing and maturing in our likeness of Christ. And so um, you'll notice in the, in the bulletin, uh, this morning we have on there, and I know sometimes I get to, my, I talk faster. Some people say I talk real fast and they can't understand what I'm saying. Uh, so if, if you notice in the order of service this morning, uh, there's a link to a, the website. And so what I do every Sunday morning uh, and Sunday afternoon is I just put my preaching notes. Now, some people may say, why in the world would you want to do that? Well, I like to follow along as the preacher is preaching. I like to take notes. And so uh, I've never been one to like to print out the handouts and make the copies because then if I change something at the last minute and I've got to go, I've done this before, we take all the, bu- take all the handouts out of the bulletin, make copies and put them back in there. Uh, and uh, trying to, to follow along with the clicker, just th- that's not me either. Uh, so what, I've, what I have found works well for me is I just throw it out there and you've got it. You know, so I brought my little iPad because we have a church council meeting and I've got my calendar on there. So it just this is what it looks like. You just go in there, it's a downloaded Word document, you just follow along. So it's pastorjohnbeck.com and then it's just got a, you, when you click on the site, it, every, every new post is just there chronologically. So that works well for me um, and uh, it gives you uh, just the flow of the sermon and the outline. And so this is actually the second half of the, the finishing well uh, Sunday night we looked at several weeks ago, the last time that we met at this time. But to refresh your memory as we've looked at conforming to the image of Christ in uh, Romans chapter 8, 28 and following, it talks about all things work for the good. Uh, and then we ask ourselves, what is that good? That good is God's purpose. And then it goes on to say that we've been called and to be conformed to the image of Christ. So you could say then... Our life is about being conformed to the image of Christ. And that word itself, you understand it is a process. It's a process that we join God in what he has already done. And uh, we have a very key component when it comes to our sanctification of our willingness to obey the Lord and be conformed more to the likeness of Christ or uh, to not obey the Lord and obey the things of God and not be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm uh, reading a, a book called Infinite Journey, uh, and uh, the author's name just left me. Uh, but he's talking about the Christian life, and I just finished a little section the other day, and it was talking about the number of Christians that have 
you know, no fruit in their life and no Christ-likeness in their life. He said, you know, and as a pastor, he was, as he was writing this, he said, the saddest thing about that is they very, very well may be a, a Christian and, and at some point in their life repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, maybe as a younger person many years ago, but then have lived their entire life and just no fruit and no awareness. And, you know, uh, the sad part as a pastor is, you know, as we look in the life of people like that, we have to assume that they've never been born again because they're not living like an alive person. And uh, that's very sad. So uh, I do think that as we understand as a Christian that the goal is to be conforming to the likeness of Christ. So we looked at assurance of our salvation. We have to know that there's a point in the time that we've trusted in who Christ is and Christ alone for our salvation. We know that we are in union with Christ, the dynamic of that when we're saved, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that Christ is in me and I am in Christ. And then we began to look at some practical things, our thinking and our mind and how important that is to be conforming to the image of Christ, that if we are not putting our mind and our heart and our focus on these things, uh, it will never happen. Our calling and our purpose, remembering what God has called us to do, that calling is not changed. Um, our calling is not to be saved and just wait for heaven. Our calling is to be saved and to live a life that brings glory and honor to the Lord and serving and enjoying living our life until we get to heaven. We looked at the dangers of complacency. And then we spent a couple of weeks looking at uh, this spiritual zeal and how we can have an excitement for the Lord and, and kindle a fire in our heart for serving Christ. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you look at 2 Timothy 4, we looked at finishing well. Uh, that there's a, that a desire that we have to finish well. One of my favorite little passages when it comes to thinking about the end and, and, and faithfulness and, you know, as we live out our life. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verses um, 6, 7, and 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So we see a faithful man of God that realized, okay, I'm in prison in Rome. I have fought the good fight. I've done well. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous good. Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all that have a love disappearing. What great words. Some of us are kicking and screaming to hang on. You know, ah, you know, Paul said, you know what, I'm there. I have, I have exhausted all that God's called me to do. I have, I have fought the good fight. Uh, I have finished well. And so the idea is that we need to realize that we need to finish well. Okay. Uh, not that I don't think you remember. How about a, a quick overview? Um, in order to do that, we have to look at our life as a spiritual journey. Now, you think about a, a road trip and trips and all that they mean. And I jokingly talk about things. Everything I do, I try to have fun doing it. And it's not that everything I do, I try to have fun doing it. It just seems that everything I do, something happens that's fun. Whether we, we plan it or not. Senior adult trips. You cannot script these things. You you can't make this stuff up, you know. Uh, almost thrown out of a Methodist church parking lot. You can't make that up, you know. 
All I asked Betty to do is pick somewhere we can pull over for lunch, and she we almost get thrown out of the message. Numerous hospital visits. You can't make this up. Taking your mother to an, a, a trip for the first time in 20 years and her breaking her leg. True, you can't make this up. Frank, we will leave that as is. We can't make that up. It's a journey. And, and it's like any other trip. You just, as you go on the, on the think about Sherry and, and uh, others, world changers. You can't make it up. The spiritual life is the same way. Uh, that we're on a journey. We have no idea what's going to happen. The key is how do we respond when it does happen? Uh, it's a, our Christian life is a journey. Peter talks about that we're passing through. We're, we're sojourners passing through. Yes, we get very attached, don't we? We love our stuff. We, uh, I, did did, did y'all notice the look from the, the First Baptist Church member when they came in and y'all had his spot? Wasn't that funny? I don't know who was in there. One of y'all, Lee was in there. I think you, you were in there when he, they looked so, and you said, is that taken? We had his spot. We get fixed to this on our journey. We get fixed in our stuff. And, but it's a journey. It's passing through all of this. It's is temporary. doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy it and love it and be excited about it, but we're just passing through. And the older we get, I think we realize that. Um, we looked at Matthew 6, and we understand that we are uh, either storing up treasures here or storing up treasures in heaven kind of springboarded into what we looked at this morning it's just being that normal thing and now this is this is kind of silly a lot of things I think about come across kind of silly but they're real real to me I don't want to just do anything that anybody can do you know you, you you're just when anybody can do that I don't want to just do what anybody can do I want to do what God's called me to do uh, not that I think I'm better than anybody or I'm special than anybody or I'm more gifted than anybody I just don't want to do what anybody else can do. Anybody can do that. Here's a new way to look at it. Can a lost person do it? Could a lost person take your spot in life and there'd be no change? It's kind of the idea that I've heard people say, if your church was no longer where it is, if your church ceased to exist, would the community even know it? That'll, that'll make you think. A lost person shouldn't be able to slide into our life and do what we do. Uh, and so we're either storing up treasures here or we're storing up treasures in heaven. Now I want us to look at, look at 1 Timothy 4. We will look at 2 Timothy. Now let's look at 1 Timothy. It does take something to finish well. Uh, there's nothing that we do in, in life that is really meaningful that does not take effort. Think about a marriage. Does that work? How about raising children? Does that work? You know, I, I think about younger folks going off to college, being in school, getting a job. I wrote down going into the military. Uh, all of these things that they just, they take something. And for some reason, we look at life and we know that. But then a lot of times when it comes to our Christian life, we, we for some reason think it doesn't take anything but just osmosis. We'll just come. I just worship the Lord. You know, I love Henry Blackaby and experiencing God, but... You know, and, and you, you, see where God is the, you see where God is working and you join him. You remember that? Uh, but some people take the, the title of his study, Experiencing God, and we just think, well, I'm just going to experience God and his goodness and just bask in who he is. Well, that's fine, but that should move us to action. I mean, there's nothing in life that doesn't require us to do something uh, in order to accomplish a task. So in order to finish well... Uh, in my pastoral alliteration, I think 
It takes the three D's. Discipline, devotion, and dependence. Um, we have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And we'll never be able to live a, a disciplined, purposeful life unto the Lord unless we are devoted to the Lord. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and the preaching and the breaking of bread. They were devoted for something. There was a, a love for Christ. You can't, you can't drop your nets and follow Jesus if you don't love him. Uh, you can't be uh, as the apostle Paul and be uh, attacking the church thinking that you're pleasing God and then you meet Jesus and your heart is, is, is converted. You can't live the life that Paul lived unless you love Jesus. And so there's, there's a deep devotion to the things of God that enable you to do what you do because of what he has done for you and your love for him. Uh, and then it, it takes an ongoing dependence, and all these things we're going to flush out. You've, you've got to realize that as you follow Christ, that you are taking his yoke upon you. There's a, a trust factor that you are literally leaning on him uh, in every step of the way. You cannot do it alone. I would submit to you tonight that you can't do it without the church. I don't think you can live a—I mean, I don't hide my emotions. Well, it's kind of like you all. You think you— you kind of hide your facial expressions, but you really don't. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it's kind of like me as a pastor. I'm trying to be very, I, I try very hard to be a sweet pastor. Very hard. It is the top of my list to be sweet. I really want to be sweet. But sometimes, it, wait, she's right over here. I was looking for Sharon. I don't even know where she's at. She, aren't I sweet? It is. I am sweet. But sometimes I get in those situations to where it's like, Brother John, this is so-and-so, so-and-so. They love the Lord, and they never go to church. I'm like, huh, yeah. yeah. It's just hard for me to embrace that and be excited. You know, Brother John, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, and they've given their life to Christ, but they, they, they have nothing to do with the things of the Lord for 80 years. Oh, that's good, yeah. Why do I look that way? Why do I feel that way? I know that's impossible because we are so dependent. You know, I'm dependent on you. As, as a Christian, I am dependent on you as a church. Uh, to not be part of the church, it, it, I just can't imagine living the Christian life without you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and crying with me and laughing with me and praying with me, not alone that I'm your pastor, just that we're believers. And, and, and as we are dependent upon one another, we're dependent on the Lord. And we cannot do this alone. You know, this is kind of the 21 days. Is, it probably gets everybody out of their comfort zone. But it, it's, a, it's forcing Christians to come together as they seek the Lord individually to realize we're in this together. I bumped into a gentleman this, this afternoon. We had a little meeting down at Bible Fellowship. And, and I know I've, I've, I'll, I'll wake up about 3 in the morning and figure out who he is. But I know I've seen that guy somewhere. And it just made me more excited that I know he's really a great Christian guy. I mean, I didn't really, it's kind of one of those things I'd seen him around, but I didn't know who he was or really ever spoken to him. And I bumped into him and I was just like, well, that's neat. That's encouraging. And so how encouraging for those at 6.30 or those at, at lunch tomorrow when you gather and begin to pray with one another. That's going to be great encouragement for you. And we understand that we are dependent upon one another. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want us to look at uh, this section and then we're going to close with some uh, the what nows. How we can apply some of these truths. 
Look at uh, 1 Timothy 4. <clears throat> if you, well, let me back up. All right, so here we have 1 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, okay, here's the church. You're, you're an elder, you're a pastor in Ephesus. Here, here's, here, here's the words for Timothy, a pastor for the church. This is very important. And if we look through 1 Timothy, and he, he's looking at the church, it's where we get our, our passages of, uh, of uh, what is an elder and a deacon. And it's always, you know, you, you cannot preach a sermon on deacons without going to 1 Timothy 3. I mean, I, that's where we go to. You know, we're looking at the church and what the church is there and, and, and what Timothy is supposed to do with his life. It's called the pastoral letters. And so now we get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And he is reminding him, he says, now, if you put these things before the brothers, if you read and understand these things, if you apply these things into your life, Timothy, and you put them before the church, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Now, that, that's, that alone, stop right there. Why do we read and, and, and study the Bible and love the word and apply the word into our life because it shows that we are good servants of Jesus Christ. That we are, we are under his submission and we, we follow and we love him and we know what the word does to us. And so if we put these things into practice and we believe these things as not only an individual but as a body, we are a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice that there's two things going on there. There's a congregational thing, there's a, there's a, a us thing, but it's an individual thing. We have a, a corporate life as a believer, but also have an individual life as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be a good servant. Being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the reverent silly myths. Rather, okay, so there is things, you can almost say there are things just don't even worry about. Just don't even be involved with these things. They have nothing to do with that which is not right and that which is not true. Don't waste your time on those things. I was reading a, a review that someone posted about a, a new book. That's, I hate when books come out that do not make any sense theologically. Because then you, you feel like as a pastor, you go, don't read this book. And then you get this whole Christian debate. Well, these people say don't read this book. And people say do read that book. And that book was, I thought it was a great book. And, I don't, and it, just, it just wears me out. Because the reason we don't read books that aren't good books is because the theology's bad. It doesn't matter how, how nice a book it is. I'm trying to be nice. It doesn't matter how nice a book it is. If the theology is wrong, it's wrong. Have nothing to do with any. Have nothing to do with anything that is not right about God. Whatever it is, have nothing to do with it. So, in other words, but train yourself. So, but train yourself for godliness. So, devotion, dependence, discipline, these deeds have nothing to do with that stuff. But train yourself for what godliness so where's the so okay i'm, I'm you know you're, i'm your pastor and here's your do's and your don'ts you know we've all got the do's and the don'ts don't do this don't do that don't do this you do that you'll be a good christian have you ever met the churches that you know they, they have the i call the cookie cutter christians you know 
Men wear suits and have short hair and women wear dresses and don't do this. And we all have the same Bible and all have the same translation. And we don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And so we, we walk out the back door and we all look the same. Up, up, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. We're good Christians. That's training yourself for the purposes of being a good Christian like the church said you need to be a good Christian. We're training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Maybe that does mean don't do these things. But the goal is not man's favor or, or pleasing God in the sense of making him like me more. Just godliness, to be more like him. And I tell people, the do's and don'ts become very natural when you just ask yourself, is this what God wants me to do? According to his will and his word and his way and the spirit that is within me, I always say it, say it out loud. Is this what I need to be doing? And if it is, then we do it and know that we're doing it for the purpose of godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. And so pursuing a life of, of godliness, finishing well, there, there's the end in line. I, I, could, I could take the time and really spend on this. Uh, and it, uh, every time I say this, people have never heard me say this. I actually have run a marathon, ran a marathon before. I know that is. Hard. I don't think my wife even believes I did it. She wouldn't even go with me when I did it. There is proof. I have a certificate. I have pictures. Twenty-six point two miles in one shot. Y'all believe I did that? You don't believe it. I know that. I don't know why I have knee problems. I promise it wasn't a marathon that did it. You don't run a marathon unless you got a plan. I will tell you this. So I owe a lot to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, but more to Chet Brojack. He put me on a plan. And it's like anything else in life, unless we have a, a plan and we know where we're going. When I'll never forget this, and uh, Travis Thomas uh, just completed a his first marathon. We're part of the marathon club. Uh, and I told him, I said, all right, Travis, you're going to hear this 100 times. It's two races. you got to divide it up into two races. The first time somebody told me that, I'm thinking 13.1, 13.1. He goes, nope. I said, it's two races, 20 miles and the last six. And the last six you will never forget for the rest of your life. And the only way this big old 200-pound ice cream eater finished that race is I kept the end in mind. I thought, I am not. There was a church member that had run a marathon and completed it, and hell would freeze over before I didn't complete that race and I would never hear the end of that from that person and so there's an end in mind what is your end in mind to just get by or is there there's a goal that we have um, for this end we toil and we strive there's no way to to you know anything you know anything having children is it easy? Women, moms, no. It, it's not easy for dads. It's harder once they get here for dads, I think. It's work. It's just, there's, no, there's nothing in the world you could tell to somebody that's about to, contemplating having children. You could say, it's the greatest thing you will live. Oh, the ble it is hard work. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Living a life of godliness, in, in a sense, it, it, we toil and we strive after it. 
And it's, it's not bad to say that. It's not a drudgery. It's not. It's just, it, it is work. And we'll get back to that. Because of our hope, because we have our hope set on the living God. So to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope. That word hope is a futuristic event that we know is going to happen. For some of our snowbirds that came down a few weeks ago, you were hoping it'd warm up. We were all hoping it'd warm up. One of my little jokes of the, of the season is uh, I saw a picture and it had the, the gladiators of, you know, the 300, the movie, the gladiator, the Persians and the Medes, ah, and it said a Floridian in the, in the face of a Category 5 hurricane. It was like, yes, ah. And then the next picture was uh, the, the cowardly lion on Wizard of Oz, a Floridian when it's 40. We were hoping. Biblical hope is, it is something that is going to happen in the future. It's going to happen. It's complete. It's finished. I hope. My hope is not, my hope is not in these things. You know, I always use politics as an example. I do think we need to be involved with politics and aware, but not driven by it. My hope for our country is not in the White House. My hope in our country is in the throne of glory. I would even say it this way. My hope is on this country is not necessarily in the White House. It's, it's in the church house. That we can make a difference. Now, I'm not saying I don't, I'm not excited about, you know, those in serving in politics and we vote. and we, I'm just saying, but if we're not careful, we put our hope in things that are never going to fulfill that hope. Um, so we, we toil and strive, but we have our hope that is out there. Uh, our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you of your youth, but set the believers an example. Now here, here's a, as we, if we think of this, this uh, idea of being an example. There is not a season of our life that God is not using us. You could take our, our, you know, some of our younger folks. Joy, I, I could include you, but I can't really. Uh, we've, we've got some younger folks here. God's using them greatly because they live their life. They can be an example. They're young and vivacious. They never grow weary and tired. And, and then we go back a few pews. We're not as young, and we're not as vivacious, and we give out a lot quicker, and we just have all our issues. But God is still using you greatly. It doesn't matter where we are in our Christian life, we are a great example of the gospel to a world that desperately needs to see it. I think a young person ought to be young well as a Christian. I think an old person ought to be an old person well as a Christian. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, here's a, a great key to the, these verses. We just got through about doctrine, teach these things, believe these things, a pillar, a pillar, a buttress of truth, and that is so important. Know what you know and why you know it. Believe the truth, you know. But then it, it also, with that also comes, be an, be an example in what you believe, but also... In what you say and how you live 
and how you love. How can we love the God of the Word and not love our brothers and sisters in Christ and not love a world that needs to know the love of the God of the Word? We don't have to love the sin, but we ought to love the world enough that we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them in faith and in purity. Until I come, verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. To love God is to to love His Word. To love God is to spend time with God and His Word. Bible study and prayer and preaching and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy with the council of elders, and they laid hands on you. Practice these things. It's that discipline of doing. Practice these things. I, I don't know when I circled this. and Immerse yourself in them. I mean, can you think about the, you know, a life where you're immersing yourself in the things of God? Not just His Word, but the things of God that we learn of the Word. That we are immersing ourselves in these things so that all may see your progress. Devotion, discipline, dependence. There's a, there's a progress here. Keep a close watch on yourself. That's that daily examination. And on the teaching. What, what is, you know, because you think about uh, the, the letter is written to Timothy for the church. And, and Paul understands, Timothy, what, what goes on up there dictates what's believed out there. That's why it's so important. And it's so important that we understand that the right truth is being taught and the right truth is being communicated and that we're, we're, we're understanding and living these truths out. It's very important. Persist in, the, in this, for by doing so, you will also both save yourself and your hearers. Now, you, you just take that section from a man that we all would mutually respect as a faithful follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, Timothy, you better be devoted to the things of God. And you better discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And you better depend on him for everything. Because Timothy, Paul's in the last stages of his life. He, he said, I'm, we read in 2 Timothy, I'm being poured out as an offering because those are the only things that matter. And if you think about that, to finish well is to finish well in his eyes. I've often said this, if I want to be a great pastor, if I want to be a great husband, if I want to be a great father, if I want to be a great anything, I need to be a great son of the Lord. If I get my relationship with him right, all the other relationships will take care of themselves. So let's just say if I'm going through 21 days of really seeking the Lord for me, And God begins to do a great work in my life and shows me things because we can very easily step away from the thing to the Lord and get comfortable in the way that we're living. But it is a process and a progress. And so we set aside that time to really seek the thing to the Lord. He begins to do a work in my life and and shows me things I haven't even seen for years. And so naturally, as my relationship with God is strengthened, the first one that's probably going to notice that is going to be my wife. And now my daughter. And the church folks, you know, I went back and, and preached and probably top 
top five compliments I've ever received. I went back and preached at a church that I preached at for 10 years. And a lot of those folks, I was the only pastor they had ever heard preach. And so I went back and, and I preached a few months ago. And then when would that have been? 2000 and when did I leave up there? Maybe 2008. And one of our faithful, older, wise deacons came up to me and said, you've grown. Now, I could have said, yeah, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. But he, I knew what he meant. He said, you've grown. You've really grown as a pastor. You know what I hope happens if I go back to that church in another 10 years and preach? That somebody says, you've grown. And, and so it's not that I need to grow or, boy, I haven't, you know, you better be, you know, pastor, not growing. What's wrong? We all are growing. And as we get our relationship with God where it needs to be always growing and changing, our relationship with others just naturally work out. If you want to be a great husband, be a great follower of Christ. If you want to be a great son, a great daughter, if you get that right, everything else works out. So what do you think I do as a pastor when someone comes to me and all these relationships are out of sorts? What do you think I do? Try to come up with 10 things you could be. Chad, here are 10 things you need to do to be a better husband. I did write those in your book. Uh, and uh, thank you for the tips, Nola. Uh, <clears throat> I could say here are ten things you must do to be a better Christian, but the most important thing is how is your walk with the Lord? How is your devotional life with Christ? How is your love for just who you are in Christ alone? That is so key. All right. All of that to say this. We'll close in these last little statements. We need to be disciplined, we need to be dependent, and we need to be devoted to the things of God that we just read there, because one, we know it's tough. It is tough, and I, I struggle with how to say that, because you don't want to tell somebody, well, it's tough, like it's just drudgery to be a Christian. No, it's the greatest thing we could ever do, but it's tough. It'd be like, I could tell Jarrett, Jarrett's part of a, in the high school we have an internship program, and so whatever Whatever life you think you may be going into, you can go find a job somewhere out. And so Jared is really praying about going on the mission field. And so a missionary, he's sent out of our church, and so he gets to intern with the pastor. And we talk a lot about that. It's tough. You know, it, it, it's tough to be do this, to do that. I, you know, it, 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 is, it is tough. The, the world that we live in is tough when you're living for Christ. It's not easy. But yet it's the most rewarding and fulfilling thing we could ever do. And so I need to be growing and disciplined and doing these things because it is tough. It's tough for two reasons. I'm still in here. John's still there. The Holy Spirit's there, but John's there. Okay, how, how do I know John's there? Because old people drive 40 miles an hour in a 60-mile-an-hour zone, and I about lose my mind. That's not the spirit. That's John right there. So as long as, so God says, I know Gabriel probably goes, hey, God, kind of like the devil and God and Job. Hey, jo hey, God, let's see how John's doing this week. Let's let somebody from Canada drive 15 all the way through Sebring. <laughs> it's always Canada. The further north you are, the worse it is, <laughs> except for Minnesota people. I love Minnesota people. They were very forgiving when I was driving up there 15 miles an hour in the blizzards. Uh, because I'm still here. I know it's, 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 
it's tough from the standpoint that I need to stay on task. But also, the devil's still here. We are in a battle. We're in a battle against ourselves, and we're in a battle against Satan. Now, I always say this about Baptist folks. There's always extremes. You know, I've, I've never had a theological point to where there were not extremes. And it's always the extremes that get us in trouble. If we, we want to go too far one way or the other, you take Satan. We got our brothers and sisters, the Pentecostal brothers and sisters, and they just give Satan way too much credit. I mean, if something goes wrong, it's the devil that did it. You know, and they just devil, 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 devil. Well, us Baptists, we don't even think he exists. And so the devil loves that. He's like, well, just act like I'm not here. They don't think I'm not here. I'm having, free. and that's so true. We don't even talk about it. We're not, you know, we don't get into that spiritual warfare stuff. That's just kind of what the Pentecostal people do. And so the devil has a field day because we don't even know he's there. He is here, and he's very sly and sneaky, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And so the only way that I'm going to know where he's working is when I live the word and trust the spirit and yield to the spirit, and immediately I will know. So we're in a battle because we will suffer um, sickness, heartache. You know, you, you've got physical suffering. There's no way you can control the practical suffering, you know, the, the bill in the mail, you know, the thing that happens, the, un, the unexplained event that is out, that's suffering. And then we have more of a, a, a persecution for living in the Christian life. And, you know, a lot of times I think as Americans we pray, which is not really a very biblical prayer. Lord, we just want to be the, the land of prosperity and promise and no persecution. And God bless America and nothing goes wrong. Where in heaven's name is that in Scripture? Can you imagine telling Apostle Paul that? He'd go, do what now? Every one of us were killed for the sake of Christ, and we fought valiantly to the end to live for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We didn't pray for protection and, and, and happy times. We prayed for boldness. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have times of peace and revival, but you know, doesn't that make sense? First time I thought about that, I was like, wow. We've been so blessed as a people that we think that's what it means. Oh, everything should be. No, we're going to suffer persecution and famine and war. That's why we need to live so faithfully to the Lord. This is why Scripture teaches that, that only those that are saved will persevere to the end. Because we can't persevere to the end in our faith unless we are saved. You cannot live this life out. It's too impossible unless you've been born again. The saved will, and, but yet the saved will and can live this life out. Listen to 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Can I read that again? 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. That's the word of God. We don't know what someone is, is doing. And I don't know someone's heart, but I do know this. A saved person will persevere to the end. I have no doubt of that whatsoever. 
That is the biblical word of God. A saved person will persevere to the end. An unsaved won't. And if they would have been obvious, they would have been obvious. And there's nothing we can do about that. Now, this has nothing to really do with, with where I'm going here. This is a little a rabbit trail we can chase for, a good trail, though. That's why it's so important that when they're not obvious, we're broken over it. Because if they're not obvious, it'd be like my family. I mean, I, I, I want nothing more than some of my distant cousins and, and in-laws, and, and not in-laws, but others to be saved. And I can, I can wish all of my heart, well, maybe they did something when they were 10 in the 40s and they got saved and there's nothing in their life that looks like, maybe they're saved. They're probably not because they're not obvious. And the worst thing that we can do is to say, well, they're saved when Scripture says if they're not obvious, they're not obvious. And so when I began to really look at that many years ago as a younger Christian, I began to realize that totally changes the way you minister to people that are no longer in church. You love on them to the standpoint that you confront them with their assurance of their salvation. We don't enable them. We don't promote it. We don't encourage it. But at the same time, we're broken over it. And we pray for their soul. In order to, I think, and, and here's my last statements. In order, I think, to, to finish well, and I'm just speaking a lot for myself, to live this way, I think we need to be more strategic and have a plan. You know, a plan and a strategy, you know, with, you know I heard this years ago in a church conference. If you have no strategy, you have no way of following steps to see if you're completing it, okay? So, you know... A strategy to this, da, 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 step one, step two, here's my strategy, here's my goal, and go back to my marathon plan. Week one, run these many miles. Week two, week three, week four, week five, I, I still have my copy. Highlight, <laughs> highlight, highlight, with no plan, no human being is going to say, you know, I think I'm going to run a marathon in 18 weeks, and I'm just going to stretch a little bit, go out there. But for those that maybe didn't complete it, they can go back and say, this is where I messed up, right here, this week. We don't have a plan. We don't have an, a, a detailed strategy of what this looks like. What is our plan? How will we get there? Putting a plan in place. Writing it out. What am I going to do? What can I do different? You know, the other night I handed out and, and um, I, I put it together preparing for the, the Bible study here. And then I ended up putting it in the, the order of service last week. I think my four areas, I think it's a great four areas, my walk with Christ, my family, my career, my calling. What is my plan? You know, what, I wanted, what do I want to do to finish well with my walk with the Lord? What does that look like? You know, am I, am I, am I, have you ever noticed, I, I've been so burned about this, I, I love reading, I used to hate reading. I mean, if my, if Miss Green would be right here, I think Miss Green's with Jesus now, but if Miss Green was here, she would, we would have to resuscitate her. I mean, I took zeros because I did not want to stand up in class and talk. Of course, I wasn't prepared, and plus I was in 
Sharon was sitting right in front of me in ninth grade, and my mind was all messed up. <laughs> Sat right behind her ninth grade, and I used to mess with her hair and all in class. And so, um, but we 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 think about uh, you know what is our plan? What what is my what does this plan look like? How, uh, what does my walk with Christ look like? What is my family? What do these things look like? You know. I, and I was reading, going back to what I was saying, I used to hate to read. Now I know I must read. I must read. Here's a, here's a convicting, I'll let you in on a little secret. Here's Matt and I's world. We can only lead the church, really, from a, from a, from a broad perspective. Now, I'm not controlling your, your spiritual life. But from a broad perspective, we can only lead the church to the heirs that we've been. That was convicting when I first heard that. I'd gotten out of seminary. I had pastored a couple of years. I had felt comfortable in the pulpit. I knew my style. I kind of knew who I was. I knew what I did well. I knew what I didn't do well. Boy, it's easy to get comfortable. I must read. I must study. But I, but I, don't, read, I don't like reading. I must read. And I must study so that I can know him in a more deeper way. And so I literally have to put a plan. How many pages am I going to read a day so that I can read in the way that I need to read and study to lead this church in a biblical manner? And I'm like, so guess what happens? If I don't follow that, that's accountability. How's my reading doing? How's my quiet time doing? How's my prayer life doing? Just things that I have a plan, a personal plan in my walk with the Lord. A plan for my family. What do I want to do with my family so that I can be a more godly husband and a more godly father and do what I need to do with a family? What am I doing with my calling, which would be your, the church? What am I doing with the, my calling to this church to be a better effective pastor and leading this church and making plans and, and writing it down and sticking to it and then my life on mission for him and so my, my personal walk with Christ my family my job and then my my living out the Christian life you know one of the dangers that I have and the dangers that Matt have with vocational ministry we turn inward now I am I have to be doing a lot of things I, I'm just I have to do I have I'm the guy that's got all the plates spinning I got to have all the plates spinning. It's just, if I don't, I go crazy. Sharon had what? Would y'all have a couple of weeks off, teachers? After the first day and a half, she said, you've got to go do something. <laughs> but pacing around this house every 30 minutes is not it. Okay, you need to go do, go find you a friend to play with or something, but you're getting out of this house. So people said, well, I thought y'all were off this week. Well, the administrative office was closed, but I was in timeout in my office for three weeks. <laughs> you got it, but, that, but that's me. I do a lot of little things. I have to stay busy. I just, that's me. That's, that can be a good thing. And so I have to ask myself, okay, the worst thing that I can do is become internalized here and forget there's a world out there. And so I do things in my life that I am forcing myself to get to know the community and investing in people's lives and doing things that people can do in the community. Now, sometimes I've had people in ministry thinking, well, I wish you were, were doing less out there and more here. You need to be doing more here. You need to slow down. That's just that's the only way I can function. The only way I can function. I've got to be doing a lot. But I've got to be doing a lot for the right reasons and for the right calling.
So to finish well, we're disciplined, we're devoted, and we're dependent. But I'm going to tell you, I love the new year. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Make a plan. Not saying that you had a, a, a terrible 2017 or your life's in spiritual shambles, but look at every year. This year I'm going to be closer to the Lord. You know, this year is a year that I take more steps to the Lord. Some of us it may be, okay, this year is a year. I'm finally going to, I need to, I need to quit worrying and quit doing, and I just got to do something. And maybe that's this year for some of us. But the idea is, is that we can finish, we can finish faithful and finish well. Let's stand and I'll dismiss us in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do love you. We thank you for the promise of your word that we can finish faithful, that we can finish well, that we can do so because of your love for us and that you died on the cross for our sin, that our sins may be forgiven and that we may be clothed with your perfection and your righteousness and receive the Holy Spirit. And that is where we place our hope, as Paul reminds Timothy. And as we have that hope, even as we leave here tonight and enter into a plan of prayer and fasting, I just ask that even right now as we leave, that there are heirs in our life that are willing to fast from, whether it's food or things or activities. And for the next 21 days, we will live differently and that we will seek you more intimately and that we would understand what your love for us means and what that love in return to you is all about. Lord, it may just be that in 21 days from now, we will come back and celebrate your goodness and your glory in a new and a fresh way so that we may truly finish well. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.